0: On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for thirty-five years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. Pete Moore is the founder, managing partner, and chief dream architect at Integrity Square ISQ, the leading boutique financial advisory firm and early stage investor in the halo sector. We're gonna ask him to define that because it's not the video game halo. Um, since founding ISQ in 2010, the firm has played an active advisory role in a hundred plus mergers and acquisitions, private placements and advisory assignments across North America, Europe, and Asia. He and his team has also invested in passionate entrepreneurs, at Switch Playground, Higher Dose, Extend, Greco Fitness, Promotion Vault, and The Athlete Book. He is also the author of the recently released book, Time to Win Again. And we're going to talk about that book as well. I uh, don't think you have any question, listeners uh, and viewers, on why I'm having Pete Moore on the program with that background. Pete, welcome to the DealQuest podcast.
1: Always good to talk deals at the end of the year as we finish up another quarter. So good to meet you, Corey, and good to know that we're we're actually neighbors out here on the uh, on the West Coast.
0: On the left coast there. That's right, Southern California. And um, and listen, certainly this has been, boy, we're going to get, I mean, what a busy deal uh, quarter and year it's been, um, uh, certainly. Before we go there, though, I want to take you back, Pete. When you were growing up as a little kid, you know, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old, what did you want to be? Because my guess is an investment
1: banker and, you know,
0: investor, advisor, might not have been it, but at that age, uh, you tell me.
1: Yeah, I guess, um, you know, at one point, I, I guess if I had my druthers, I, I would be a tight end in the NFL, you know, retired at this point. <laughs> uh, my Jewish mother, the, uh, thankfully, decided I was not allowed to play football at that age. So I, uh, I became a, a pretty strong uh, soccer goalie. You know, my dad was the CEO of a beverage equipment company. So they made uh, <laughs> coffee machines and urns and fryers, a, a company called Cecilware out of uh, Long Island City. Is where I actually did all the manufacturing, and they. Uh, so I used to go to the office with my dad. So I guess I, I thought I was going to be in general management or you know CEO of a, a small business. And as I got to Emory and then got to Harvard Business School, I realized that you know there's an investment banking uh, operation where you know you can advise people 25, 35 years older than you, um, and make a pretty sizable deal fee, and and give them really good advice and help them you know create generational wealth you know, and I focused on the, the health and fitness industry and, you know, we can expand on that, uh, as we go forward here. Great. Great. You know, it's interesting.
0: You, you and I have some, we, we, yeah, we live pretty close to each other on the West coast. Uh, my dad used to work for a company that had its, um, its uh, back office and warehousing in Long Island city, Shlema, the high end store, uh, gadgets, sure. the way pull, like Brookstones and whatever they were had the store in the city. And, um, I, uh, sort of uh, just came to mind. I haven't told this story. Uh, You know, growing up when I was a a high school kid and college kid, my dad got me a job in the warehouse in Hamakashlema. It was no air conditioning, 110 degrees, loading trucks. Uh, And um, I remember coming home one day and saying to him, you know, boy, there are like grown men who support their family, You you know, like trying to support their family on what was minimum wage or slightly above loading
1: trucks all day. And he looked at me and said, yeah, now you know what you don't want to do for a living. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, my dad used to walk through the uh, the manufacturing plant, and what I was amazed by is that he knew everybody's name, and yeah. he was the CEO of the company. You know, had three hundred guys. You know, they don't do this in Long Island City anymore, but you know, there was a metal stamping department. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a welding department. So, you know, I really understood from the ground up. You know, this is how you actually assemble a piece of machinery, and had a you know appreciation for small business and for my dad coming home and looking through uh, you know reams of inventory that had those little perforated dots that you probably that your parents probably had while I was doing algebra. Um, you know he was doing inventory parts management as a CEO. You know no yeah, delegation love there. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, and one one uh, final question. Looking back before we talk a little bit more on the present.
0: What was your first deal of any type? It could have been something small when you were a kid. It could have been early in your career.
1: Whatever comes to mind. Yeah, you know, it's so funny you say that because um, a friend of mine that I was playing tennis with yesterday said that he was going down to Sanibel Island uh-huh. uh, for, uh, for Christmas, and that reminded me of when I was eight years old. I used to go with my grandfather across the coast from Fort Lauderdale, Hallandale area to Sanibel Island, and you used to be able to get the most pristine shells uh, as you'd walk there on the, on the low tide. And I used to take all of them home and I would put like little necklaces on them and I would put yeah, those little googly eyes and I'd sell them for a dollar a piece back in uh, my elementary school at Bowley Green. So my first deal was free shells from Sanibel. I might be getting in trouble here with some kind of you know, <laughs> environmental group. Look, they're all, they've all been sold. They're probably in a good place, you know, but I probably sold a couple hundred sh- you hundred know, shells at you know zero uh, cost of goods sold. And uh, you know, marked them up to friends of mine. You know, and, uh, during during lunch. So that was my I, first deal. I love it. Well, it's it's <laughs>
0: way past way past the statute of limitations period.
1: I I tell Thank a story you. of
0: uh, you my I a Business with um, uh, a flyer delivery business in, in in Brooklyn. I used to work with somebody and deliver flyers door the door. And I got my own accounts, and I had my friends. And um, you know, I I I will now say they were independent contractors because I certainly wasn't withholding taxes back then. So, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we all do do we we learn our way Um, great so listen we you know we talked uh, in your bio about you know all of the deal experience you have on the M&A side and the financing side and that kind of stuff Um, but let's talk a little bit you know like give us a little more specifics about you know uh, I know you said uh, mentioned certain sectors but you know size of deals types of companies sectors geography let's talk a
1: little bit about really you know who you work with now yeah, sure. You know, when we started out as, uh, as M&A bankers, it used to be a, a specialist group that, that did the M&A. And I think, you know, as the world has gotten much more sophisticated and you need, really need to know, you know, who the strategic buyers are in a specific vertical in order to stay relevant as a banker and not to, you know, miss some obvious suitors that are outlier potential buyers on deals and also, in, you know, in this COVID world, you know, there's, you got to find the contrarian in the room potentially. Um, and that takes a lot of digging. Um, sure. So we, um, I started focusing uh, originally on industrials, uh, water filtration, and then health and fitness. Uh, we called it the active lifestyle and wellness group back at the time when I was at a firm called Siegent. Uh yeah. And then 11 years ago, when I started Integrity Square, uh, we said we were health and wellness bankers. And, and Corey, for some reason, the word wellness always bothered me. And I, I didn't know why. No one ever came to me, you know, and pitched me or, or told me about this awesome wellness idea. It kind of okay. drops like, you know, like <clears throat> a dead mic, uh, you know, a comedy, uh, the comedy cellar down in the East Village or something, right? You know, and then I, uh, I Googled the word wellness. And it turns out that there was a guy at the Mayo Clinic. His name was Dr. Halbert Dunn in the 1920s. And he was a biostatistician. And he was looking at people getting sick. And he was trying to come up with the antonym. Of illness, So we came up with the wellness movement, which basically means in in the way I calibrate it, if you're not sick, you're okay. Uh, Being okay is not what I'm trying to advise people to be on this planet. Like, I want you to be amazing. Um, And there's all this technology and there's all these things you can do and the science behind health and fitness and workout recovery and anti-aging that I said, look, I'm going all in on this. And we came up with this trademark acronym, which anybody can use. Um, which is called HALO. It stands for Health, Active Lifestyle, Outdoors. And We're trying to create the HALO sector, the HALO movement. Uh, we do HALO Talks, which is our podcast, and the HALO Academy is just kind of like our, our two-week Harvard Business School boot camp. Originally, when I started in banking, uh, and you'll remember this because of where you're from, you know, it was Bally's Fitness, B-A-L-L-Y. Um, that company was basically a, a consumer finance company. Um, the health clubs were maybe a little bit better than your high school gym from 1987. Right. And, um, you know, they basically financed their, all their receivables away that they didn't have any money to actually invest in the clubs. So when I used, was a banker and I would start to try and get health club operators, which was kind of where I started in the bricks and mortar side, I would have to go and explain to an investor. Let me tell you why this company isn't Bailey's. And right. I was, you know, I'm already going in, in a defensive manner and then, you know, private equity, you know, professional would inevitably say, well, oh, health clubs, the, isn't that where private equity goes to, to lose all their money? You know, so we were kind of <laughs> up against, you know, some pretty big, you know, tidal waves. And then there were some really interesting companies that came along, which most of the audience will know of, you know, 24 hour was a very big success for private equity Sure. Um, Gold's Gym, with the group that I worked at at Brockway really kind of turned around and professionalized that brand. And then you had Lifetime Fitness, um, which was really kind of creating these Taj Mahal, you know, $40 million locations and, and Baram, who's, you know, one of the leaders in, in the industry, you know, basically set a new standard for we're not selling paid in fulls. You know, you're actually a member, you're part of a community, yep. you know, you're going to bring your family here and actually feel safe and comfortable so that kind of changed the paradigm. And then what's happened over the last 10 years is a lot of segmentation in the bricks and mortar in boutique uh, fitness operators, franchisors, franchisees, Massage Envy, Orange Theory, area developers, and they've been good unit economics. So, yeah. you know, when, when you look at any of these businesses, there's a lot of flash, you know, there's a lot of sexy brands and imaging, um, you know, at the end of the day, people want to look good in the mirror. They want to be able to, you know, potentially take their shirt off if they go to a, a pool or a beach. Um, they want to be socially interactive, and um, you know, they want to have a good time doing it. You know, with people that they're they're comfortable with. So I'm excited about where we are in the, you know, trying to be a leader in the halo sector. Um, and we'll get our share of deals. And I, you know, I want deals to happen. Like you know, as a banker, sometimes you say, "Oh man, I can't believe we didn't do that deal." It's like you know what? It got done. Right. And, and it's, and it's, and it's bettering the industry and those people are doing good things. So be greedy long-term is, uh, you know, one of the things an old uh, partner of mine told me who a lot older than me.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's an interesting sector. I've done some deals in it. We, we, uh, over the years, we, had, we sold, uh, I had a client that owned something called American fitness back in the day, sold three clubs to, uh, three really good clubs to, um, to Equinox. And then I did some deals with, uh, New York, Sports. Sports, I think it was, sure. um, you know, it was, it was interesting. That was also around the time when um, the the model in the, uh, in the outcome industry moved from annual renewal, where you had a, a manual, actually have somebody take a step to renew to right. the monthly recurring, you know, uh, hit the credit card, you know, uh, revenue. And I remember there was a lot of people that were saying back then, well, that's a bad move on that part because people can cancel on 30 days notice. Why are they giving up the year commitment, blah, blah, blah. And nobody realized, I mean, that now it's become such a thing in the deal community that, you know, of course, recurring revenue, subscription model, all that kind of stuff is so much more valuable, yep. you know, and, and I think it's especially, and, you know, you, you, you're in the area more than I have, I love your comments, but I think it's especially true in that area. My, my theory is this, yes, theoretically, you can cancel your gym membership, and, you know, anytime in 30 days. But it, it's going to go on forever. And to cancel your gym membership,
1: you need to admit to yourself that you're not going to go. And most people do yeah, you know, not
0: admit say, that themselves.
1: I'm saying you know, if you are going to give up, you basically have done three. Uh, this this phrase has hit your head. I have given up hope. Right. And you people usually don't want to take the step to actually say, I'm giving up hope, you know, they might go to sweatpants, they might take 90 days off. But like, that's like the linchpin of like the George Costanza moment of like, all right, I'm exiting, you know, human, you know, healthy behavior. Right. So it's a great model. I mean, they have recurring revenue from the
0: majority of the people who actually don't regularly show up, right. So that even, you know, but if they
1: actually had to build facilities for everybody that was a member that, and they all showed up all the time, it would be all different. Yeah, economic model right i mean right? planet fitness has really done a great job you know whether you want to call it um you know some people will kind of poo poo the model and say oh that's like the laundromat you know of, of my neighborhood And it's like yeah when was the last time you saw a going out a business sign on a laundromat Ever? <laughs> right so those things are going to be around there's no you know when minimum wage goes up it's like okay it goes up for three people uh that work in the club and you know it's a well-maintained well-lit a lot of parking um, and, and the interesting thing about brands in the halo sector in general is when you get to a certain size and, and a buddy of mine and I invested at one point in a Dunkin' Donuts franchisee and you realize when you own a Dunkin' Donuts, like how many Dunkin' ads there are a day that actually hit you, yeah. you know, and then then you look at Planet Fitness and you're like, wow, um, no one's ever advertised on an NFL Sunday game before. No one's had a banner on a Kentucky Louisville game. You know, basketball game on CBS at one o'clock in the afternoon. So the, the the sales and marketing actually becomes like the competitive advantage and almost like a moat around that business. Yeah. Just like with Duncan, like you okay, you're gonna start up a, a coffee chain. All right, good luck trying to you know compete against you know five percent of you know twenty thousand stores revenue. Yeah, totally. So, so
0: um, what are some of the I I want to get to the book in a moment because I'm really excited about uh, listeners hearing about that. But before we go there, let's talk about some of the lessons. I mean, you've done so many deals, right? You know, and it's, uh, you know, and whether it's specifically in the sector or in general, I mean, you know, when you've done hundreds of deals, there are certain patterns that you see, right? You know, on what makes a good deal, what makes a, you know, a bad deal, uh, what mistakes people make. And I'd love to, you know, give some some highlights of all that experience that you have for our listeners.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the list is probably, you and I could probably write a book on it, but right. let, me, let me give you some of the, the highlights and, and some of the things that I'm you know, way more focused on on, on the front end. Um, yep. you know, as you go through deals and, and you and I have been on, the, on both sides, you know, whether it's um, I'm asking the, the legal and the diligence and the business questions or I'm receiving it, um, you know, in this business of, of bricks and mortar health facilities um, and studios, it really all comes down to what are the unit economics? Yep. And I think what happens is a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in, well, the first location wasn't my prototype. You know, the second one's not my prototype. The third not my prototype, but the fourth and fifth and so on, like I've learned something and that's going to be the prototype. And I think investors want to, you know, hone in on, you know, what's the simplicity of the model. I need to understand the model. I want to know yep. what the returns are of the model and how scalable it is. So, there are people that come to us and say, Hey, I want to raise money. I want to do 500 locations. Like, well, let's get the first like five, right. Okay. And then let's get to 20 and, you know, kind of tighten up this, you know, vision of yours or put that in a drawer. And, and then, you know, once we decide what the growth plan is, cause we're like, we're doing a lot of growth equity deals. Yep. You, know, you really got to take an entrepreneur through, you know, w- what's the valuation and what's realistic. Um, and a lot of bankers, You know, we've been subject to it because we think we're going to get the best price for every company. Um, You know, if you've got five, let's say you got, you know, $3 million of EBITDA or cash flow out of your business, you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to get the valuation that Planet Fitness or that Lifetime Fitness trades for in the public markets. Right. It doesn't work that way. Somehow that got lost in the last 10 years of, you know, applying comparable multiples to extremely different sized businesses. Um, so I think, you know, you have to educate the client to say, look, this is probably like a five times EBITDA deal. I think I might be able to get you six or seven, you know, oh. because you've proven certain things out. you got a management team. Um, but one of the lessons learned is like, okay, let's okay. ask all the questions that a bet ba- that a buyer is going to ask the entrepreneur, 100%. get the answers up front yeah. and see if the story sticks. Um, and usually by the time you're done with that exercise, if it's a good business and and a strong management team, you kind of drink your own Kool-Aid to like, Hey, this actually is a really good business. Like I figured out, or they figured out what the special sauce is. And by the time you do those two months of discovery and back and forth with a client, the client actually knows more about their business than they did ever before. That's right. So, so you're almost like aligned with the client on like, Hey guys, like, this is how I'm going to sell this business. someone and this is the special sauce. You kind of knew what it is, but you couldn't really explain it to me and you couldn't tell me, you know, oh, the reason why this business is so awesome is because my square feet per member is like two square feet per member, which is what a Planet Fitness is versus 10 square feet per member for a a club chain that doesn't spend any money on advertising. So the special sauce is the marketing and like the the, penetration of, of the usage of the asset. So I'd say up front, doing the work up front. Some people come and say, I want to get to market. I'm trying to close this deal by end of this quarter. I'm like, no. (laughs) Okay. Like you built this business for 15 years. Like, let me sell it in six months, not in three months. Right. Um, And then the second big primary objective up front is what does the entrepreneur want to achieve? Yeah. And, you know, entrepreneurs spend a lot of time talking to inbound. Oh, I had this family office guy comes in He wants to put in 20 million You know, minority deal. This guy wants to put in $40 majority deal. This guy wants to install his own CFO. It's like, if you go out and you say, what would you do with my company? You're going to get, every investor is going to come up with something different. And then it's like, holy shit. Like, I thought I was the owner of my business, (laughs) controlling my own destiny, bringing in capital to further my goals. Now, somehow I'm an employee working for these guys that I don't even know running their business plan and they don't even understand my business. So I tell entrepreneurs after they spend a year trying to find their own money and they say, I do not want to pay you, you know, your 5% fee on the capital raise. I'm like, do yourself a favor. Let's go out and ask for money for exactly what you want to use it for, how much you want to take off the table, how yeah. much you want to use for growth. Let us put the financial model and the PowerPoint and the diligence together to support that primary objective. Let's see if anyone you know, buys it off the shelf. So guys go to the shelf and be you will go to the grocery store and be like, anyone want to buy me? And like, what are you? Like, whatever you want me to be,
0: Uh, not a good
1: way to get a deal done.
0: Pete, it's so true. And listen uh, you know, any, any regular listeners of this podcast know that these themes echo so much of what I talked about in the past on my solo cast or with other guests, Um, you know, and um, you know, uh, so on your first point, you know, I always talk about, you know, doing that pre-due diligence, right? Whether it's the financial, the legal, the, you know, human resource, whatever it is. Because exactly, I mean, those of us who do deals know exactly what buyers are going to be looking for. And you better go through a pre-process to make sure you're you're ready, you, you know, that there's nothing missing. There's nothing, there are no problems. You clean stuff up. And then also, yeah, you get the story right. And, and listen, even if it turns out that that due diligence process tells you you're not ready to go to market, that's great as well, because then you know what you got to work on. Um, in between and you don't go out to the market and because, you know, the, one of the worst things you can do is go out to the market and fail, right? Now, you know, now, now when you clean that stuff up, you're on somebody's list as, you know, as well. Yeah, we
1: looked at that deal already, yeah, right? Exactly. So I mean, that, that's, a, that's actually a really big deal that you bring up and I, I think people should know that, that you can't be out in the market, you know, especially in, in the private equity world and venture capital world, as much as people see all these, you know, big numbers or oh, this $30 trillion or whatever, you know, in private equity. Well, I will tell you that there's like 30 really good buyers for your business and you're going to have a list of them and you can't go back to them every year because what they do is they'll say, all right, why didn't that deal get done? There's something about that company that I got to find out that I don't know. Right. Cause somebody else found it out and I don't know yet. Right. So then it becomes like, I'm a private investigator to find out. I don't know what's tarnished about this business, but you know, I'm going to, f- I'd love to find out, like. I watch Netflix, right? I watch a lot of documentaries. I want to know what happened, you know? And then the other thing is, you know, people keep these books, even though they had signed NDAs, you know, they have them on their system electronically. And what they'll do is they'll go back and be like, okay, 2021, this company is supposed to be at 8 million of EBITDA. Hey, let me go pull that book out. Oh, they're at five. Okay, so they, they didn't get a deal done and they haven't hit their projections. And this thing's basically like in the same place it was before. So now they got a new banker, probably yeah. not the deal for me and you and it might not be your fault or you didn't think that was going to happen but it did yeah yeah so that pre-diligence that prep process is crucial no matter
0: where it leads you and then the other point you made you know about being clear on your objectives you know you go to simon Sinek, knowing your why which is true for everything i talk about you know in my uh, authentic negotiating book my first fundamental tenet of my on my framework is clarity right if you don't have clarity on exactly what you want, what you don't want, what you're doing it for, what you know, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Then yeah, I mean, one, you're gonna be le- less you're gonna be all over the place. And and two, you yeah, you gonna I mean, you, you know, you said you're gonna end up like working for a bunch of people, right? You know, this is, I yeah. mean you're not gonna get the kind of result you want. So, you know, yeah, totally aligned. You and know, I think a lot. And I think frankly, uh, you know, I don't know many successful uh, deal makers who've done a lot over time. We don't come to those those same conclusions. Yeah. You know, it's and, and, you know.
1: and you know, as much as um you know and there are people that are gonna be subject to this and I've been subject to it too because I like to throw like every acronym around well I got halo which is good but you know like okay this company is like a software as a service but this one's like a you know hardware enabled software as a service like a HeSAS. um this company's got like artificial intelligent I don't even know what's artificial about it or intelligent about it I just know <laughs> it's software right so like you get people that get so caught up in like their business model it's like bro Tell me what frustration you're solving that right. someone's willing to pay you for it so I understand what your business is before I go out and try and use all these you know hyper words on w- Wikipedia that nobody gives a shit about. So simplify your business plan. Like the like the admission statement for the New York Yankees is we will win the World Series at all costs. Anything else is a failure. Okay, guys, I get what you're doing. You're <laughs> right. It's clear. Right. clear. Like there's right. no, like, hey, we're trying to provide, you know, um you know, uh, stimulation for like the city of New York in order to like create sports experiences that create, you know, positive hormonal, whatever, dude. It's like, no, dude, we're here to win. You want to be a fan? (laughs) You're in.
0: Right. And listen, and the great thing about having a clear value proposition, whether it's for sales or whether it's for your company to be, you know, to do a deal or get funded or whatever, is that it, it actually makes it easier for people to opt in or opt out. And I always say, you know, easy to opt out is a good thing too, because you don't, you, don't, you don't waste time. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com assessment. That's coreycupfer.com assessment and filling out a few multiple-choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. All right, so um, in our sort of pre-discussion, when we uh, started talking about the book, you actually mentioned uh, it sort of coming out in, a, in some ways, you know, with the experience in the pandemic. So why don't, we, why don't we actually roll with that? Let's talk about a little bit, you know, the impact of the pandemic on, on deals generally, and then, you know, we can roll into... Um, you know, how you came to the book, you know, it's been interesting to me. One of the things I've said a lot on this podcast, you know, I like this concept that, that they've talked about because I think it's right on the mark about how this pandemic has caused this K economy, right? You know, where you've got so, some industries on the downstroke of the K and some on the upstroke of the K. And, you know, I have a lot of clients, for example, in financial services and tech and things like that. And you know what? Most of them did a real, not only just got through the pandemic, okay, but they actually did really well, right? Yeah. Obviously, you know, a lot in the halo sector, you know, uh, at least brick and mortar were, were shut down. I mean, the Orange Theory, you know, a block from me was closed and then they had some machines outside and they had much less capacity and whatever. But then um, then you look at Peloton, you know, or some of these other ones, uh, you know, that benefited. So you know, talk about a little bit the uh, the impact, uh, you know, of the uh, pandemic and then and then we'll get into
1: what inspired you to write this book and what it's about. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, to start off, you know, most of what I've been doing for the last 20 years is helping people uh, systematically scale multi-unit health club operations. So going back to what I talked about before, you know, an orange theory nail the unit economics. You know, I got to get 500 to 800 members doing 100, 120,000 a month in revenue. Um, I sell it for $159 for eight classes a month. So there is no unlimited, you know, that's how many times you go. And then they had the technology hitting at the right time that people actually could utilize the technology and the wearables. And, you know, so they tinkered with that and they're, you know, great guys from that I knew from a deal I did prior at Massage Envy. And when I went down to Orange Theory, when they started, The business, I'm like, these guys are like, they're like tinkering with this thing. Like, what's taking so long? And, you know, a testament to them, like they figured out the special sauce and then they scaled it. So we did five Orange Theory deals pre-COVID where we were the banker to area developers that bought states and then basically built out half the state and then sold the rest to a private equity firm and took some money off the table and became a CEO. Um, But look, I mean, if you had a lease and your business was a a land-based business and you weren't deemed essential Um, you know, you're basically, you know, I like to say like Luke Skywalker in the uh, garbage compactor, you know, in in Star Wars one, you know, I got my landlord coming at me for, for payments. I got my quote unquote flexible capital partner who after 90 days isn't that flexible because right, right right, right. Again, so they're the really, <laughs> yeah they're not really like you know your partner of choice um but they're, they're your partner now um and then you had your members put going on cancel and then you had you know governmental restrictions that that you couldn't control. So you basically were like you know it was like four corners um kind of all coming together. So you know we kind of became almost like I like to joke around but it's probably true. You know, I became like a, certif- a self-certified entrepreneurial therapist right. at the time. And I'm like, right. look, like get the PPP loans, you know, hibernate those, th- that money like a squirrel. Um, talk to your members, you know, and, and, and go digital. And, and some of the groups, which was really interesting, Corey, I would start getting anecdotal stories from like a CrossFit in like Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, they would say, um, no, all of our members are paying us because they want us to stay open. Wow. And they meet us at the park when they can, but they basically want to make sure we survive. And that's like kind of the only, this is one of the only businesses where you have your your members, it's kind of, you kind of have a co-op, you know, yeah. when you own a health club or a boutique studio, because you got three to 500 people and you own it and you set the rules, but they kind of do, um, you know? So if you start thinking about the psychology of that um, and the relationships that people have, you know, if you were able to maintain that relationship digitally, which a number of groups did, um, or they went to where the consumer or the member was, you know, they kind of re- redefined that my business is not the four walls. It's it's basically a five mile radius yep. in this community. And I'm the authority on health and fitness. So I think that was an aha moment for a lot of health club operators that made it through. You know, we work with a company and we invested in a business that's called Higher Dose, which is a uh, infrared sauna. Uh, yep. Uh, where you'd go and you'd rent out the sauna for like 35, uh, 30 to 60 minutes. And they had a direct to consumer infrared body wrap that they sold kind of, if you couldn't come um, that business went, you know, is, is over $20 million revenue business, all direct to consumer now because the two female entrepreneurs there that are rock stars and biohackers said, I am not going to let COVID destroy my business. I'm actually going to get these products from Asia to these people and I'm going to give them the workout recovery and like the mental wellness tools, you know, at their home. So that, that's a great success story. Um, you know, but, but I think, you know, this, this term hybridization has really, you know, kind of kicked in and um, you know, a lot of clubs in the past and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. A lot of clubs in the past said, you know, what? I don't need to do the video on demand. I'm making plenty of money. Doing right. My bricks and mortar thing, you know, right. And they did it, you know, as kind of a, you know, as an emergency, you know, landing gear. Um, but I think they're going to keep it up and they're going to realize like, hey, like, okay, Peloton's great, but like, I- I'll give you, you could just, you come into the location, you know, you can talk to my trainer on FaceTime on a cell phone. I see you at the Whole Foods. I'll meet you at the park. I'll train your kids Little League. You know, we'll do a yoga class for your kid, you know, for his, you know, his or her birthday party. So like you start to realize like, hey, if I'm the person that is the authority in this community, wherever you go, I'm there. And, right. and, and the COVID's kind of awa- awakened people that some app on the app store is not replacing me because you can't.
0: And, and, and it is fascinating because, yeah, listen, and, you know, I, I, I've quoted this a few times and I, I and I always, um, uh, I'm annoyed that I can't remember who it was, but I many, many years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, I was at some seminar. There was a panel of billionaires, right? And they asked uh, uh, one guy, and they all, all had like their ups and downs, right? And one guy had filed bankruptcy and then, you know, became a billionaire again. Um, and he said, and they said, you know, what was your you know biggest mistake? And he, and he said, well, I, I um, mistook a bull market for brilliance. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I thought was a yeah. great line, right? Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 you know, what it brings up for me is this conversation of, you know, it's easy to get complacent for all businesses when the economy is good, right? And think, you know, your model's working, it's going well, right? You know, you're busy, you're investing in that, but there are vulnerabilities, right? And I think that's what the pandemic showed, whether it's, you know, I mean, you know, you look at, you look at uh, the healthcare industry, which is finally, I um, mean, the pandemic helped things, mu- many more things move online, you know, electronic yeah, telehealth, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, you I know, know I, I'm
0: I'm a I'm, I'm a member of the National Speakers Association. I was president of your chapter during the pandemic. You know, so professional speakers. I mean, I I don't have this kind of model. I speak, and mainly it drives things to my other businesses. But many of them, the only way they make money is speaking. Well, they found out, boy, that's a vulnerable model, you know, mm-hmm. in person having to be on a stage. And now a lot of them have, you know, gone virtual. They've looked at, uh, yeah, coaching, back-end products, whatever it is. So I think, you know, it's been, it's been super instructive for businesses to diversify their you know, their revenue lines
1: and, you know, how vulnerable their model was. And they didn't see the vulnerabilities when things were going well. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's definitely layered in a, a healthy dose of efficiency. You know, I don't know about you, but like I got somehow really comfortable getting on like the 5 a.m. JetBlue out of JFK or right. like 4.30 out of Newark to like go to a, like a meeting, like all points in the country. And like that. I'm not doing that anymore, right? You know, like I'll do, I'll do a zoom with you and I'm going to fly it at a reasonable time and we're going to meet then. (laughs) Um, So I think it's kind of like awakened people to like, Hey, like I could push this, but you know, maybe I was a little bit out of control in how I treated my mind and my body. Um, And, you know, look, I think zoom is, is pretty good. And, you know, it's only going to get better when you think about, you know, some of the technology that Microsoft's coming out with, you know, with, you know, whether the Oculus and Facebook or, you know, we could be in a virtual meeting or you and I could be front row at the, you know, Golden State Warrior games, you know, wearing that an cuts. Oculus headset one day, um, you know, and, and slapping, you know, curry, you know, through our TV or something. Who knows? Um, but, you know, the point is, I think technology's helped. And I think it was it was actually at a great time because the technology was proliferated to the point where there was all SaaS options for all these operators to go on. So it wasn't like I need to hire a CTO Right. Well, I got a server rack, like, forget about it. Then, you know, Peloton and those groups would have been like, ha ha, I got you. Like, you can't even compete with me because yep. I, I got the hardware and you don't. So right. we right. got lucky that it was at the right time.
0: Good stuff. Okay, so the other thing that came out of the uh, the pandemic for you was this book, uh, "Time to Win Again," and uh, and even the title I, I know was some of the pandemic inspired. Let's t- tell folks what is
1: the book about and how'd you come to write it and you know give us the story around. Yeah, sure, and we'll uh, we'll we'll get you a copy. So this book is basically you know good to great on the business side meets Where's Waldo, um, and what we've done over the past four years is uh, we've done about three hundred podcasts on Halo Talks. Uh, interviewing a lot of uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs and private equity groups that are in our Health, Active, Lifestyle, Outdoor segment. And uh, we found a, a caricaturist, his name's Mark, up at, uh, in Vancouver. Uh, so now we're international. Cruelty-free cartoons. And he does a, a bobblehead of every one of the guests that we had on Halo Talks oh, uh, cool. f- for the social media side of it. So during COVID, you know, we were getting close to like 300 podcasts. I had all these bobbleheads. At the same time, I'm working on four restructuring deals, which, you know, might be the most depressing thing times four, um, throw in a pandemic on top of that. Um, and I didn't have my soul cycle bike yet. So I'm starting to watch the last dance with Jordan and, you know, I'm, I'm like spending all my time as a restructuring guy now and an entrepreneurial therapist at the same time. And I'm like, wow, if you could run your business, like a professional sports team runs a dynasty type of you know, set of players, you would just crush it. And I started writing down notes with my partner, Dave Ganel. And I said, okay, you know, let me go through, you know, some of the highlights, some of the best games, you know, and it's about, okay, you know, people take timeouts. Okay. Who takes a timeout in business to say, Hey, we got to fix like that sales call script. Like that shit doesn't work anymore. Like we got to fix that. When are we going to fix it next quarter? No, let's fix it now. Right. Let's take a timeout NFL, you got six timeouts. They usually take all six of them and they need them. So why wouldn't you do the same thing in business and fix parts of your business that you know you can optimize real time? The second thing is I'm watching a NFL game and there's an interception. And what do these guys do? They sprint over to the Microsoft surface and sit next to each other. They're at like, they're at a campfire in, you know, upstate New York and they, they slow down the tape and they watch every single thing that happened. Yep. Yet you lose a big client Everyone comes to a Monday meeting about like, oh, we lost this big client. You know, well, why did we lose them? Like, right. what happened? Like, let's rewind the tape. Tell me what happened and let's go get them back. Well, let's make sure the shit doesn't happen again. Yeah, um, You know, treat your employees like professional athletes. I got, I got health club operators that spend thousands of dollars on recruiting. Right. And then they bring some guy in and they give you like a, a seven cent uh, plastic pin that says Corey on it. Like, let me get you an embroidered. <laughs> piece of clothing that's a uniform. So I'm holding you accountable. I'm actually saying like, hey man, you're worth me embroidering your name on your shirt. Like I think you're going to be on this team for a while. Yeah. You know? And then so we started coming up with all these different, you know, analogies. Um and then one I want to just bring up because I think your audience would probably love it and I know you will is, you know, sometimes people come in and they say, hey, I want to, if this doesn't work out, I want like a 12 month or an 18 month severance package. Which, for your listeners, are basically I hired you as the CFO. Either you didn't work out, or I don't know what I'm doing, and it was a bad hire. And now I'm paying your salary for 12 or 18 months for you to go and find another job. So I'm thinking, all right, what's the what's the NFL analogy to that? The NFL analogy to that is the day after the Super Bowl until the first preseason game is five months and 27 days, and you have only 32 teams that you could get on. So. That's the maximum amount of severance that anyone should get, given that there's like ten thousand companies that have more than five million of revenue. You can't find a job with eight thousand companies yet. This athlete, who's an elite athlete, only has five months and twenty-seven days to find (laughs) another job. That's the maximum you get, and full stop. Like, if you don't want to take the job, then you're probably going to enter into the severance period because you're not that good. So, I love it. I love so, it. So, and then the last, the last chapter is take the points. So if you want, somebody wants to buy your business for 50 and you want to sell it for 55 between Corey and I, please call us or email us or tell, talk to Corey. He'll tell you, take the deal. Just like you take the field goal, put some points up on the board. It's going to change your life. Um, so we came up with 52 analogies, a little, like couple of bullet points because that's how I operate. And then like a full page schematic of like, where's Waldo with uh, all the sports uh, uh, illustrations as well as, um, uh people that we've done podcasts with and then like my niece and nephew are in there and a couple of buddies from summer camp. So
0: you like well, and and it, it's so it can't so um we're recording this late December. This uh, uh episode's probably gonna air late uh January I'm guessing we're probably four or five weeks out right now. Um somewhere in January. So uh the book uh, has come out a couple of a couple months ago from when we we're recording yeah right? you could, yeah pretty, you'll be able to get right? the
1: book off of uh, it, it'll be up on Amazon through uh, through a, a distribution company that we're using there. Um, and then on time to win again.com, which I was surprised that I could get that URL. Um, but time to win again.com. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've been selling books. People have been buying it for their teams. We just had an order the other day where you know 30 books got sold to a group that's in the sports industry. And they're going to basically use it as a way to you know say, all right, every week we're going to try and implement one of these ideas. Uh, and then uh, we've got some leadership groups that are, using it, and, um, yeah, it'll inspire you, and, and, you know, a lot of people in our industry, you know, probably 80% of them played intramural sports or some type of sport, and, you know, those were the best days, like, I'd go to school, those because I needed to make sure if I wasn't there by 10 o'clock, I couldn't play, right, so it was definitely a big part of my life, and I'm sure it was yours, and team sports is, like, the lifeblood of this country, so why not implement all that into your business? Love it, love it, love it, and
0: and, uh, so you uh,
1: self-published? Uh, on the book, I mean, I transferred five hundred dollars from my personal account to uh, my business account. And my personal account as a book advance. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we self publish it the first time. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. You know, we're trying to hit a very, uh, you know, targeted demo in our uh, halo sector. But you know, this book is basically, you know, useful for anyone who's running a business. You know, in any in any sector. But you know, just That's with more right. slant to it. So listen, maybe the next one will get. On. Maybe you'll be my guy. You know, you'll be my lawyer, and we'll go get a book deal. There we go.
0: And, and listen, you know, we've, had, I was about to say, we've had people on who've, um, you know, done everything, you know, uh, from major publishing deals to hybrid, you know, I, I hybrid post my book, my wife got a major deal. I've had plenty of self where I'm about to self publish an ebook on the first hundred episodes of my podcast, uh, Oh, nice. you know, and, uh, and, you know, listen, I mean, I mean, nowadays we don't spend a lot of time here, but, but nowadays getting, even getting a major publishing deal, first of all, most people, unlike my wife who got a, you know, who did well um, most, most, most major publishers are giving out little to the, no on on the advance you got to market yourself anyway like it's not like you you know it's not like uh, unless you're a major sports star or politician or you know celebrity or whatever you know um, you know you're not getting big money from a publisher anyway so um and you know and like you said about uh, deals i can tell and i did the same thing with my book there's a strategy behind it Right? You know, there's a strategy behind the book, and, and none of us are going to get rich off selling books. That's not the goal. The goal is to provide that kind of expertise and, and information, get an introduction to you, you know, have something to give yeah. your your, your key target market.
1: And, and, I, and I would say, you know, and kudos for the people that are, that are on here listening to this because, you know, one of the guys I used to work for, you say, look, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So you got a lot of experience. I'm sure all the guests you have on, and, you know, doing a deal. You know, you got to have people that have experience and they're going to keep you in like, you know, like if we were bowling, you know, like within the guardrails and, and protect you because it's the biggest deal you're going to do in your life. If you're going to sell your business or you're going to partner up with someone. It's, you know, basically equivalent to getting married, which, you know, has got a 50-50 shot that you're right. Um, so, you know, you, you got to do it diligently. And, you know, as you said before, you know, you got to do it when you're ready and not when someone else thinks you're ready. Um, you know, so be disciplined. The world's got a lot of opportunities all the time. You know, someone's like, I got to sell my business within three months. You don't just relax. You know, think things happen according to the, the energy sources and the plan of how the universe works. And it's not going to speed up for, for your deal. Uh, you know, so uh-huh. kind of get in gear and, and be ready. And, and one of the last points I would make is there's a guy, Peter Brockway, who's referenced the other quote with me. He said, look, build something of value. And when you want to sell it, someone's going to pay you for the value that you've created. And that's how you should think about the business you own. So I think those are pretty good words of wisdom from my boy, Peter Brockway down in Boca.
0: <laughs> I love it. In Boca. So, uh, Pete, before I ask you my final question on the podcast, um, just uh, let's make sure people know where to find out more about you and the book and whatever, give out whatever contact information, sure. websites, uh, you
1: know, et cetera. Yeah. So it's uh, Pete at IntegritySQ.com. Uh, It's my email address, integritysq.com is our uh, investment banking boutique operation out of New York and now out of Manhattan Beach, California. And the uh, podcast is at halotalks.com. And you can find out about uh, our Halo Academy boot camp. We've got 120 executives that have already gone through that uh, uh, five-night, two-week crash course. uh, And time to win again.com on the book. So I appreciate that uh, ability to be on here. Great to meet you and hope to see you in person as well. Absolutely. So listen,
0: folks, all of those uh, links will be in the show notes in case you missed them. Um, and yes, Pete, uh, we, we are we are left coast neighbors here. So let's, uh, yeah, we, you know, I need to get together in person, talk deals, we will do that. Um, Definitely. Final question uh, sure. on the podcast that's, uh, that I always ask is my highest um, value in life is freedom. And for me, that means freedom from for people from oppression to the why I'm an entrepreneur and I haven't had a boss in over 30 years. Uh, what does freedom mean to you and how does it uh,
1: impact your life and business? It, it's it's actually probably the guiding force uh, in my life because the freedom for me not to have to report to someone or somebody, you know, telling me what my bonus is or, you know, what time I got to report to an office, especially in this, you know, mobile society and virtual society. I mean, I live in Manhattan Beach, California. I'm up at five o'clock in the morning um, I work on New York Times. I run my own schedule and I'm accountable to my clients and everybody's got my email and cell phone number. So I'm, I'm reachable at all times. Um, yeah. So I think freedom, you know, is is one of the guideposts of, of America. I think, you know, property rights is also one of the guiding points, um, you know, so you got to have both of those. And, um, you know, the idea, the, the ways to generate the best ideas is to have thousands of ideas out there. And that's the freedom of thinking big and the freedom of trying to solve everyone's frustrations and your own. And, you know, that's how you create awesome businesses. And that's, that's cultural. That's not easily, you know, repeatable. I think a lot of countries have policies and they think they can take a three ring binder, you know, and transport capitalism and entrepreneurship. But a lot of freedom is a feeling. It's not, you know, a policy or it's not a paragraph. Um, So I think people should really, you know, be very, um, you know, lucky that we live in the times that we're in um, and and have the ability to think openly and, you know, pursue opportunities. Love it. Love it. Pete, thank you so much
0: for being a phenomenal guest on the Quest podcast. I feel like we could talk to, for, you know, days
1: more, but obviously we will leave it here for now. Really appreciate you having, cool. having you on as a guest. All right, man, I'll give you a virtual fist bump and I'll look forward to seeing you and uh, I'll come to you. Awesome. All right, but That was great. Good to see you. Have a good holiday.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the Deal Quest community. Join the Deal Quest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90 minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to wwwcorycupfercom slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Cupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.